Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by JJ Bull the Bullet. Hey, Joe. Hello there, JJ. How's it going? <laughs> Pretty cool. You've got a disco light. Tell the listeners all about that. I thought it'd be really cool to have a disco light. For a podcast? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear the lights. Yeah. Are your eyes not sort of being blinded a little bit? It's not in my eyes. No? No, I put it in front of me. Okay, yeah. It's on the desk. I just want you to have that. If you, it's Because there there's a live stream version of this, obviously. Sure. People watching right now. Yeah. And then they can enjoy the light. Can I say, one of the reasons I'm finding it difficult to see the light is because there's another light here lighting up the room like a sunshine. Aww. And it's the legendary, the, uh, can't think of another adjective, it's Ian McIntosh. <laughs> it's probably safest not to, yeah, given safe, some but... of the ones that have been used. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Good. I'm glad that you're here. We haven't got Seb today because JJ? Uh, he's in the gulag. <laughs> And so we're hoping that he's able to get out. If he wins his 1v1 battle. Oh, he's in the Call of, Call of Duty Warzone gulag. Yeah. Sure. Is there sure. another kind? <laughs> well, that's where he is. And we're hoping he his movement's good and he's given a good weapon. Yeah. As yeah. long as it's not dual pistols, you never know what they're doing. And no one throws a stone at him from the overhang. Well, I hope not. But I think he'd shame. be able to dodge it. And I, I fully expect to see him land with a parachute back yeah. here. Pretty soon. Well, fingers crossed. Hopefully we'll see Seb again soon. But in the meantime, we do have someone who's probably much, much better in, uh, in Ian. Thank you for joining us. Expectations set an entirely realistic level. <laughs> very, very high. <laughs> Must be met. Right, we're going to talk today about uh, Spain versus Italy, which was, of course, finalised on penalties. It was difficult to separate the teams, wasn't it? But we'll come to talk about that, because if you find it difficult to separate things, maybe ideas in your mind, you should read The Athletic, because The Athletic is full <laughs> of extremely educational content, and it will help you separate out those strands of thoughts that you're having and organise them into a fantastic filing cabinet of football knowledge. So if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that for the time being, I think for the next few days only, limited time only, you can download The Athletic for £1 per month for six months. That's just £6 for six months, JJ. That's right. And you can read all sorts of good writers. And uh, you can even read uh, very famous footballers writing letters to yeah. younger footballers. Like this, yeah. Nelka wrote one to Kylian Mbappe. That was cool, wasn't it? Yes. I like that. Anyway, that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. But for today, it is with Spain and Italy. I'd like your very, very brief thoughts on uh, that, JJ, because that was a sort of bit of an overwhelming experience at the end there. The entire game? Just the penalties. penalties. I felt all anxious. Uh, uh, I think the th thing I remember most from it immediately is that as soon as Maratti, as soon as the close-up was on Maratti's face, I think we knew it was going to happen. Oh, I'm covering my eyes again. Yeah. Yeah. It was that weird. The thing is, it was. I was so sure of it, I don't even feel the worry I normally feel when that's about to happen for right. players like that. I just, I, I just had already accepted it. Which because is it's odd. the uncertainty which, which causes the worry. I think perhaps, yes. Yeah. 
It's that football logic thing, isn't it? The, the, the sense of the story being written by an unseen hand, that Morata to be dropped for this enormous game, oh. then to come back and save this enormous game was yeah. somehow predestined to completely screw up this enormous game. Oh, it feels 100%. too cruel to even be written. But we'll come back and talk about that story uh, after I leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of JJ Bull and Ian McIntosh. with you because that was fun that's what i've written down here i've written that was fun wasn't it and then i've written capital words uh, capital words capital letters penalties i've written okay well there's, there's something to pick the bones out sure. of, something to start yeah. it was fun and yeah. so often these games aren't as well you get semi-finals that just turn into really very very dire affairs where no one wants to commit but right yeah. from the start both sides were committing more and more men to the attack um uh, and then after about three minutes, uh, Italy are clearly going, I don't understand what's happening here. We're <laughs> prepared for something and this is not it and yeah. kind of lost their momentum for half an hour. But yeah. the thing, I mean, there's loads of things that I loved about it, but I particularly loved um, the, the behaviour of some of the players just before the penalty shootout, in particular Cialini, yeah. who, whether it was mind games or just the beginnings of hysteria... <laughs> Just seemed to be like, Way! it was like he was about to play on the arcades, like yeah. a bit of Link Up Mario Kart on the uh, <laughs> on the Bournemouth Arcade Pier, which is the last arcade I was in. Your Alba um, did not seem to enjoy that. No, not a bit of it. And no. I, I wonder if he thought. Well, I think JJ was saying, like, is, is he trying to belittle him, yeah. and make him feel like a child? Or, but I, I kind of think because Cialini is. He, he's a throwback to the days when footballers all looked like they were 52 and worked in the pit. Yeah, yeah. Like, to have that figure looming over you and going to punch you in it's the It's very face. much Dad's friend in the pub, isn't it? Yeah, but Dad's friend in the pub when he's been in the pub yeah. for way too long and his wife's yeah. phoned, but he's just going like that at the barman, just don't tell her I'm here, don't tell her I'm here. Come here, you bang, scamp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're bleeding. Um, <laughs> How did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, it was marvellous. Yeah. It also had that feeling for me of maybe, I mean, it's, you know, before a massive penalty shootout in a semi-final of a major tournament, uh, Jordi Alba, probably nervous, right? But it had that feeling for me of seeing a senior co-worker in the corridors of an office and being like five seconds behind the banter the whole way and not being able to catch up at any point in the conversation. Do you know what I mean? You often look like you're disappointed or in a bad mood, but really you're just panicking because you don't know what to say. Alba and Chiellini you were talking about. Yeah, here. yeah. I think that's, uh, that's definitely what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Not any personal experiences, obviously. Yes, of course. No, I think uh, yeah, it felt very much like um, Alba was being put on the losers' table, where Chiellini <laughs> was going to go and sit at the cool guys' table. Yeah, and uh, I 100% think it was all deliberate just to try and wind him up. Yeah, and you're kind of trying to humiliate your captain in front of his teammates, who then. It must just do something. <laughs> I remember when uh, Italy once beat England in a penalty shootout and Pirlo scored sure. this lovely panenka that you may remember. Uh, and I remember that Pirlo chip over Hart was so, uh, what's the word? It's just full of confidence, arrogance. And it was like supremely... Contemptuous, wasn't it? There was something about it that was so, like, this is how you do it. Yeah. And then it instantly made England look like, oh, right, we're playing the wrong game. Like we've been using the wrong buttons all game yeah. or something like that. And, uh, and it just set the tone and you knew from that moment that they were going to win it. And yeah. I think as soon as Killian did that, although Locatelli did miss that first penalty, which kind of ruined it for me, this narrative that I'm going on, I just, you just sort of tell they had the psychological upper hand. And you were even saying, Joe, in the, when we were talking, when they were gathering around for penalties, Italy looked kind of quite chilled. 
Yeah, they did. Spina's yeah. a bit frantic, kind of trying to G themselves up. Well, it looked, I mean, I might be wrong, but it looked like Morata was asked twice if he wanted to take a penalty, or at least when he said he did, one of his teammates turned around to double-check that, that he did. And I know people make a lot of those moments beforehand, um, and obviously, retrospectively, it's, it's much easier to do that. But Italy... I don't know. I, I was I was watching Roberto Mancino, uh, Mancini, sorry, Roberto Mancino, Mancini. Roberto Mancini uh, talking to his players, very calm. Obviously, you know, a little a little enthusiastic, but they looked like they'd been prepared for this for a hundred years. And then uh, you, know, you look over at uh, Luis Enrique, who's kind of manically circling player names on a tactics board, and I'm thinking, like, did you not know beforehand who was going to do this? You know, in this eventuality, I don't know. I don't know. But um, Ian mentioned already another thing that. Italy maybe weren't prepared for ahead of the game because it looked at the beginning like they were very much expecting Morata to start. Of course, he, he didn't. Uh, and uh, Spain had a kind of false nine thing going on instead, which for the f- first half, pretty much the entirety of the first half, while Spain didn't have a huge number of chances, JJ, uh, or at least clear-cut chances, um, Italy's defence didn't seem like they didn't really know what to do at times. This is the first time Italy have had a team really going at them and being able to keep the ball well. And Spain are effectively doing very well what Italy are now trying to do. So Italy are trying to get to that place where they can play like that as their natural game. And this is about two years of work of Mancini, Mancino trying to get the team to play this way. And one of the things Mancino has worked on so hard is to get that kind of play in place. Spain obviously done it very well for years and years. And you think of the golden generation, what year did they win the World Cup? 2010? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. I can't remember which one it was. 14 was Germany, it doesn't matter. Um, 2006 for Italy. Italy in 2010 was Spain. That's, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. So that was the what we think of the, the peak era when you get Xavi and Iniesta, right? So then you think now that was 2010. We're now in 2021, aren't we? Yes. Sure. So it's 11 years past. There's a whole generation of players who will have formative teenage years who will have come through and younger who have learned to play in the way that coaches are trying to teach them to play in that way. So it's very natural. And you saw, I think later in the game, you saw how quickly Spain were passing the ball. Like, you know, the tempo is very important, but there was real fizz uh, to the, each pass like they were properly slamming it and it doesn't matter because they're just controlling it even with one touch to pass it out again so Italy are trying to press them in the way that they've pressed but Italy haven't played many good teams they've had this they've got this amazing run under Mancino but they've not lost any games <laughs> so it's taken them a long time uh, to face someone like Spain you see I mean I yeah. know it's kind of obvious to say I've not played no, that sure. but that's when you see how that press and suddenly becomes a problem. And they set up to play against Spain in a certain way because uh, Insignia, you can see it early on, they're very narrow, especially out of possession. So normally what happens, I did a lot of Italy watching before uh, the tournament started because we did a thing on them on Tifo IRL. And uh, normally what happens is that Insignia and whoever's wide right, Berardi or Chiesa, they stay very wide and uh, the defenders are more or less kind of tight in their four. Then it transitions to a back three and then as the left-back Spinazzola gets to, on the overlap about midfield, that's when Insignia comes inside, and that's what they did. Against Spain, they were very narrow, and I think it was so they could have more bodies together so that they could press Italy more uh, effectively. Yeah. So when the ball drops, there's more players around them to be able to pick it up. Um, but then Spain was just passing around them. And I think that false nine thing might have been so they have more control of the ball in the final yeah, third. Maybe. It's not even about getting behind them. They know we're going to play a high line, but if you just pass around them, it's going to knacker them out. It seemed like every Spain player was between the lines all the time, you know? Yeah. And I know they have that, have that feeling when you watch Barcelona too, but uh, Benucci particularly and, um, and Chiellini, it felt like they weren't sure whether to step up or, or to hang back. Like they're not, they're, you know, older defenders now. They're in their sort of senior years. So uh, you don't want to be chasing back Spain's fast attackers. 
it, it just seemed to cause a little bit of chaos anyway. But Spain didn't capitalise on that really in the in the first half. And then something shifted after half time. I'm not entirely sure what it was. Obviously, after the goal, the game opened up a lot more. But before that, it looked like Italy just started to counterattack in a way that they kind of hadn't done in the first half at all. So in the second half, the first thing I noticed in the second half was that Insigne started wider. So you see he's closer to the touchline and he picks up the ball for the, um, I think, who scores the first goal? What's his name? Totally forgotten who scores. Yeah, such a long time ago. Oh yeah, Chiesa. Chiesa. So I think it might not be the goal or it was a move before that anyway, but the start of the second half, Insigne, regardless of what I'm saying, Insigne is wide left and uh, it means that they've got, not an out ball, but they've got a way to get the ball out wide. Yeah. And one of the reasons I think they, they shifted this is that Emerson's a natural overlapper. is always going to go in the overlap because he's left-footed and that's what you get from him because they really miss Spinazzola in this game. Yeah. Who can underlap, over, overlap, he can end up on the right wing. He's done that. He's basically, a, he's about three players in one. He's like he's like Kante for them, essentially, yeah. but starting in that position. Uh, and they really missed him. And the things he saw from Emerson, it's not just that, I don't think Spinazzola is some amazing, amazing like Roberto Carlos style fullback that you need to, you know, Cafu or something like that. He is just really, he's got a massive engine. Like he can just drive and drive and drive. I don't know why I find that funny. Sure. He can drive and drive and drive and drive, full of stamina. Like a big car. He's like a big car. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he drives his car very fast all over the pitch. Right footed, cuts inside. Not really relevant to what I'm saying. But uh, Emerson's not as good a player. And it's the timing of runs and the read of the game. And it's. Yeah, um, you were frequently frustrated watching that game when you felt Emerson should already be in behind before the pass comes. And he's kind of five, six yards behind yeah. where Spinazzola would have been. It's like reading the plays, like not knowing exactly when to be and where. Like Spinazzola's got that nailed down because he's been doing it for a little while now. Also because he's defined it in a way, right? It, it, like he plays well, he that can way do because it. that's what the, he does and that's the expectation. The rule's built for him because Spinazzola can do it and you can put another player in there and it's kind of, then you have to learn the ropes and like uh, my analogy, if you if you will. Please do. Is a sort of like, when you start playing Warzone... Do you do anything else <laughs> other than two analogies, Max? No more. Uh, okay, that's fine. I'll I'm just, just joking. You do as many as you want. Uh, I'll have more. Mm. Anyway, uh, when you or, or any game, you're getting used to it, <laughs> right? Any shooting game. But in Warzone, you want to find the place... You, like, so any video game, you're learning it. So you're you, sorry, have you played Warzone, Ian? No, I have not. No. Do you no. know what it is? No. Is do you explain to Call of Duty game. How about yeah. any Call of Duty game? So like any of the multiplayer. Oh yeah, I play Call of Duty sure. in Battle. There we go, Front, perfect. Battlefield, it's like a big battle royale of Call of Duty with a hundred players or something. Hundred fifty. With all the maps put together, Ooh. and it's a you know last man standing or whatever kind of deal. Nice. But please go ahead with your analogy. But I'm going to change it to slightly more like multiplayer because it'll work. Mm. So like there's when you start playing it, you kind of want to learn one level just so you sort yeah. of you learn the mechanics of the game and what you're doing. And you learn like how your teammates are working if you're playing with them or how to play it on your own. And you sure. learn where all the bits and pieces and all the hidden alleys are. And always land in the airport. Clever jump shots. Well, yeah. So if you always land at hospital in Warzone, uh, you do that for a while. Then you land at Superstore for a bit after that and you learn that. Sure. And then when you when you progress from hospital to Superstore, you're comfortable in both positions. Yeah. And Spinet Zola is good at landing at hospital oh, and then moving on to Superstore. Now. Like he's I, I honestly had forgotten what the original point was <laughs> right. we were making before we got there. I never forget. <laughs> uh, Spinazzola is good at landing a hospital, then he goes to the Superstore and knows them both inside out. Whereas Emerson, it's like he's sort of been in them a couple of times each. He's played with his friends a couple of times, but doesn't quite know the layout of it exactly as such. So he doesn't know exactly when to make the run because he's not sure when Insignia is going to move in. He's not sure when the defender is going to move out. And you saw Chiellini was moving out to left back quite a lot to allow Emerson to move up. I wasn't like surprised at all later on when Emerson came off and they put Toloi on it right back and moved De Lorenzo to mm. to left to try and sort that. I think they had a bit of trouble on that left side, yeah. 
So if in doubt, hide behind the door with a shotgun and a flamethrower attached. You can do it all depends on your on your uh, style of play, really. Yeah. I like to be aggressive. As a spinzola. Can you touch Ian up just ever so Sorry. No, no, no. The hell kind of show is this? <laughs> I did say touch up, didn't you I? You bought yeah. me a pizza. That doesn't mean I owe you anything. <laughs> he does have a lovely hand. Yes, it does. Um, I, I think there's a, a lot to be said just for the Italians getting 15 minutes to get their heads together and yeah. indeed to give those yeah. heads a wobble. What really surprised me about the first half was how quickly the nervousness seemed to flow through the team. For yeah. the first three, four, five minutes, it's... It's mostly okay. It's it's two giants testing each other, and then as they as they pull back to try and figure out what exactly the Spanish are doing, the Spanish do it to them harder and faster. Um, and <laughs> there, there are mistakes coming through all over the place. There's Donnarumma with I think three terrible low passes. Mm. There's uh, Barella, um, fifteen minutes that almost lets uh, Ferran Torres score. They they it just. It seems to get out of control yeah. very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, and I think if Spain were more clinical, that that could have been critical. But just the opportunity yeah. to get in the dressing room and go, everyone take a breath. Mm-hmm. We're all right. For Mancino to sort things out. Well, maybe. exactly. Yeah. Mancino's known for that, if nothing else. Big time. Big I thought time. that happened even in-game. So when they would win a turnover, rather than countering what you think they would because Spain would be out of shape, instead they just kept the ball. And or I think it's good game management. It's the kind of thing that I think we're seeing now from... Uh, I don't want to talk talking about England because I'm as bad as everyone else. <laughs> We're going to do that later anyway. Yeah, but that's the kind of thing like that you see in England now. I've noticed that they're doing it, but I think Italy have traditionally been very good at that and same as any good team, Italy, Spain, Italy, France, anyone. And uh, that was something they did. Rather than win the ball and try and instantly try and punish the space that was left, they would pass it backwards and just try and keep the ball and let the other team work. Because otherwise you're just knackered. And you see, because what they want to do is pass around a bit and then fire the ball into a space where they can take advantage of it. They're playing lots of balls at the top for someone like um, Keza on the right and Insignia. And even the Mobley, they're trying to get a Mobley in behind. Mm. Not the quickest of guys, but you can do, you can do it because Spain have that high line. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I like what you said there. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. I was going to say too, I thought about, as you mentioned in the first half, uh, it Italy looks a little bit panicked after 10 minutes or so. I don't know if this is just my perspective, like the way that we've talked about Italy here is sort of as contenders from from the beginning, from the first time we saw them play against Turkey, I think was their first game. And, you know, seeing the number of chances that they create, a number of lovely goals that they've scored, they looked kind of clearly like a team that could make it to the final one, and certainly a lot better than I, I thought they were. And in some ways it looked to me, through my perspective, which is probably entirely wrong, that they realised that they were a lot better than they thought they were. And it's got to this point where they play in the semi-final, the first five minutes against Spain, they come out swaggering like Italy should and then sort of remember <laughs> five or 10 minutes and it's like, oh, this is still Spain. I know it's not Spain of 2008, 2012 or whatever, but actually we haven't touched the ball yet and maybe we should be a bit worried that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be swaggering basically is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think that there not are that they times... Were you have to look back at what Mancino has done over two years. It's just never going to end, is it? Um, the the way that he's he's picked them up from a team, oh, sorry, three years, of course, um, a team that didn't qualify for the World Cup and yeah. built this run of momentum. And and maybe we also underestimate that, that yeah, they, they have lost not so much their outball, but it was their thing. The man on the left, he's yeah. three players in one. He can go to hospitals and shopping centres yeah. and, and such like. There's a reason they, everyone was talking about him. Yeah, then maybe maybe other Italian teams that we've seen fall so short in big international tournaments 
wouldn't have been able to cope with a first half yeah. like this. Yeah. But there's maturity there. Well, there's one player in that Italian team that didn't really seem to be phased at any point, and particularly when he scored his goal, Federico Chiesa. It was a lovely goal, wasn't it? Yeah, he seems like a cracking player. I don't know how he got the space for that or how he had the composure yeah. um, to do that. And, and once again, I'm, I think I was banging on about it most of the second half. Spain were overcommitting. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, you know, they felt like they'd lost their moment of advantage. They, they knew that they should already have been at least one goal to the good, and they were really slow to react. This time, Donnarumma does get a good uh, a good ball out. Admittedly, he only rolls it out about six foot, but, you know, it's baby steps when you've made mm-hmm. that many mistakes. Bang, up the field, and um, yeah, it's just such a great finish. It, it was such lovely. a difficult time. Yeah. You made a, a, a very nice noise when that goal went in, JJ. Here's a goal. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the technique to hit it, I don't think he even curls it that much. I think he gets, uh, uh, he more or less hits it straight and just gets dip on it into the middle. That's why the goalkeeper looks so lost. Yeah. He must be convinced it's going wide. Keza makes things happen by being very direct. Um, great choice of starting him. I think Berardi is a bit more of a, I can say silky, but then a bit cute, a bit more cute. Yeah, a bit more cute. Is, is, and uh, Keza is basically, basically spiky. Yeah, like if you caught him in Pokemon or something, he'd be spiky and get yeah. away from you. <laughs> yeah. Berardi would be like nice and sitting in an egg. Sure, yeah, that's what he'd be like. Federico, he's like a, Federico Case is like a big slab of tasty chocolate or something. You know, you, you, it's it's lovely to eat, but you feel like it could hurt you a lot if it hit you over the head. Is Kiesa. that right? Is that a good thing to say? <laughs> I think Case would be like spiky, like you've got spikes on a cactus. Sure, yeah, no. Chocolate on a cactus. Chocolate on a cactus. What am I saying? No, that's the one. I think you hey, nailed it. Hey, check this out. The XG is 0.7 for Italy to 1.6 to Spain. Yeah. To Michael Kelly. I guess Thanks. that kind of makes sense. I think Spain missed a lot of chances. They had, to, I mean, we haven't, maybe we haven't really done justice to how much of the ball they had. I mean, they didn't have a huge number of clear-cut chances in the first half, but they definitely dominated the game. Like, you were making, again, m- more different noises uh, every time they passed another Italian hey. player. They passed the ball around in, in Italy's half with ease. Mm-hmm. Things changed slightly in the second half, but only, only really in Italy's favour for the 15 minutes around where the goal was in the middle. And in an extra time, Italy looked like they were hanging on for penalties at points. I think Yarzabal was... Guilty of missing a few chances. I th- he was unlucky with the first touch. He, there was one ball that Pedri, uh, who I'm sure we'll talk about, was one of the best players in the, in the game. He's one of the best players in the tournament for me. Uh, but he fires a through ball into Oyazabal and his control just doesn't take him in to having a, uh, a shot just behind him. He's really unlucky with that one, I think. You might see a better player. Like Pedri probably would have controlled it, even though he's passing it. Um, and yeah, and Olmo as well had a couple of kind of half chances. Played very well, I thought Danny Olmo, but again, just not quite... The thing Spain missed, I think we're talking about it, is they had someone that finished. If they had Lewandowski, they'd be amazing. But that's the same for any team, sure. really. If you I think Ayazabel. Ayazabel? Ayazabel. Yeah. Have we decided? We Either weren't way, sure. luckiest man in that Spanish team. Because if Italy had held on to the 1-0 lead, all the Spanish press would be talking about was the miss that you've just described. Yeah. And, mm. and the one that was just as bad, um, the missed header um, in, the, in the second half. And then he gets hauled off towards the end and you're yeah. looking in his eyes and you know this is a man who knows what the newspapers are going to do to him over the coming oh I don't know 20 to 30 years <laughs> and now no one will remember yeah because, because Morata saved him, him and then saved him again <laughs> in a different <laughs> yeah. way taking all of the bullets uh, well we'll talk about that uh, after this break this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
We're back from the break, and we want to talk about that now uh, because uh, I want to ask you about the Morata goal. And obviously, the end of the game dr- drastically changed what the story would have been. But at this point, the story was a lovely story. Yeah, and it's such a strange goal to score against an Italian team. And even yeah. even an Italian team that plays on the front foot um, and stretches teams out on the flanks, it's not, you know, it's not the Italian team, certainly, that I grew up, grew up with. But even so, to see that much space suddenly mm. open up in the middle and for just a simple one-two with Olmo, who I must echo was absolutely brilliant tonight, you just didn't expect that sort of goal. Yeah. And as soon as you see Morata onto it, it's like I was saying at the beginning, it, it feels predetermined. It was like a video game goal, it seems to me. Like it was just a one-two, and then he's through past four static defenders who can't, can't react <laughs> to that kind <laughs> of uh, advanced play, you know. But on Morata, though, I just feel so bad for him now. I mean, like, obviously... The beginning of the tournament, throughout the group stages, was lots of lots of discussion, of course, about his kind of special ability to miss chances, or at least you know. Then then it became like missing a half chance was typical Morata, as if it was an obvious goal, and they never were. Then he got death threats, and his family got threatened, and all the rest. It was like horrible. This is like the worst possible thing I could imagine could happen. You yeah. see his face after the penalty; it's like it's horrible. Yeah, it's it's really horrible as well because if it was like the 1990s or something, the 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 correct form for a player to do something like that was to go to New York for a bit. Yeah, and no one recognise you because yeah. no one in America liked football, but yeah. he can't even get away with that now. They're all watching. I aren't don't they? think there's anywhere he can go. Um, I hope that people will realise a that it takes a huge amount of courage to step up and take a penalty kick yeah. in the first place, and also that he didn't do it deliberately. Yeah, um, because sure. there, there was everything that was so great about football tonight. It was a brilliant game, conducted in a brilliant way, brilliantly refereed. Sure. Um, and it, it is... Brilliantly kind of, watched by us. I thought we were amazing. We were I really we good. Were probably the best of the lot. I'd say so. But to think that it, it will end, and it will end with a whole load of death threats to someone who just slightly screwed up. Yeah. It's a real shame, JJ. But you said during the game, to give Murata his due... If you kick the ball at him really, really hard, he controls it. Yeah, that's one of the things. A lot of people always wonder why he's been playing at so many huge clubs. Chelsea, Real Madrid, Juventus. Because he's good. Because he's obviously a hugely talented footballer. (laughs) (laughs) There's a thing, like, he just doesn't... He doesn't get the numbers that you you want from him. Um, I imagine... I bet he's amazing in training. Have I said this in the podcast before? I I don't know that you have. I bet he's amazing in training, and that is why so many... Like there's clearly a reason that so many managers and scouts and people in the actual real football world, like not just I mean me sitting in a podcast, sure, yeah. like so people who actually know what they're talking about, <laughs> they're the ones who uh, you know will sanction. I mean that doesn't always mean that they know what they're talking about because someone paid like forty million for Joel Linton once, so that's it doesn't matter. Murata is definitely good uh, technically, so like his technique is uh, fantastic. Maybe not shooting, but um, everything else is great. He's a good footballer. It's just a good footballer. Yeah. Uh, great first touch. His movement is fantastic. It's one of the things you notice about when he comes on, his movement. And his movement is key for the goal that he scores, actually. In fact, we should talk about the goal. Don't yeah, because it's a weird goal. I don't understand it. Well, I know exactly why. It's, um, so, oh. so Italy have gone through some changes. It's the, was it 80th minute this happened? 79th minute? So Italy have made some substitutions. Barella's gone off because he's knackered. He's yeah. done a full season under Antonio Conte and he's done every single game with... This, this team here. So you've got Piscina is on, you've got Locatelli's on, which means that Verratti's also off. So that's your key midfield is gone. The shape's changed. 
not actually, the shape's not changed, but the personnel within it has, and that means that the system's not working quite as it's meant to. It's perfect with Verati and Barella there, and it's it was uh, actually really good when it was um, uh, Barella and Locatelli before as well. They seem to have worked it when Verratti was out injured. That seemed to have worked. But what happens is Piscina, who I think is playing on the right-hand side of the three, pushes up to help with the press as Spain are building up. But they're not really t- quite tight enough. And Signe is the striker and you've got, uh, I think Berardi's out right. It doesn't matter who the players are, actually. But they're, they're pushing up a little bit. Piscina's moved out from midfield into a forward three, even though he's in the midfield. So it's a lopsided 4-3-3 now. If you imagine the four and then the three is to the left of the four and then the forward three is to the yeah. right of that. So and there's two holes. Uh, no, that doesn't even matter. This is the weird thing, is that Piscina is out. So that midfield behind him is now a two. So this is very hard to do without doing pictures. But what happens, basically, <laughs> is the ball is fired by Laporte, I think, into Morata, who drops into a false nine yeah. between the two midfielders. Right. Now, Locatelli should have come across to his right. He should have come across even two to five yards and block that space because that's what Piscina's trying to block, but he can't get quite in it. Because the ball by Laporte is so good, it bypasses Piscina. So his role in the press is made redundant. He now can't get back. Jorginho realises it instantly and has to chase him and turns as Morata runs towards goal. And he's fast. He's got a good first touch, turns, good awareness, all the things he's worth money for. Sure. Starts driving towards goal. Now, there's a massive hole. They normally have a three, so they've got a pivot behind two midfielders. So suddenly Chiellini, so there's a back four behind that, obviously, and Chiellini notices this, and he's more of a stopper. So he wants to step out and get rid of this early, as soon as he steps two yards ahead of Bonucci in that line, uh, Murata plays the pass inside. Yeah. Chiellini's then got to turn round. He's got to shift his balance, which he can't do in time because of the way he's waited to try and get into the challenge yeah. and almost just slips him back in to the one-two. So it looks really easy, but it's this kind of goal I can see in Pro Evo all the time, all of the time. Yeah. Because you get to, you just don't pay attention for one quick second and that's exactly when they do that same It's routine. a chain reaction of micro-accidents. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and you can see it. It's all... It, Mancino did nothing wrong with the way they set his team up. And the oh, they're never going to stop punishing me. <laughs> I like all the Mancino. It's I nice. like it too. It makes me think like a rhino or something. Mancino, like a, yeah. Mancino it's rhino. Like a kind of, I don't know, like yeah. a coffee, like a nice coffee. Or a cheese, Mancino cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Mascarino, is that a cheese? Uh, Manchego is a cheese. Manchego is a cheese. Yeah. What's Mascarino? I don't know. I you might be thinking of mascarpone. Have you a mascarano? <laughs> thinking of mascarano? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe you were. Yeah. Anyway, well, there we go. Can I ask you about Busquets? Of course he can. Because he's 33 a week after the final. Good Lord. And I tell you what, he played like a 31-year-old today, <laughs> didn't he? He looked like a 43-year-old when they took him <laughs> off at the end, didn't he? He was very good, though. He, he does need that break now. You know, he needs his little sit-down. But, goodness me, he can still control the game. Oh, and he's so important for the players around him because it is quite a young team. Yeah. And you've got someone there who was a kid in, well, two of the greatest teams, the Barcelona team and the Spain team of the, yeah. the same period. Um, so, you know, he's, he's got more experience than anyone when it comes to trying to keep up with the, the very best in the world. And it's funny because I think for a lot of people, uh, there are certain words I can't say on this, sure. aren't there? So yeah. I, I should tread carefully around this. For, for, for certain people, he is known for his spithousery. Yes. Um, yeah. So much spithousery, in fact, it could be considered spit-streetery yeah. um, because there's such a long record of it. Um, and <laughs> He's it always was, got his mouth open, you know. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> but it was really nice to see him do what, what, we, what we know he, he really can do and yeah. just, just dictate a game and yeah. just straight-backed, head Moving around like that, looking for angles, looking yeah. for moments. And he does it all so quickly that often you take it for granted, but it's just coming in, going out, coming in, going out. Yeah. He's, um, 
yeah, he's, he's had a hell of a career. And um, it's amazing to think that he was, you know, a few years younger than than uh, Javi and Iniesta in that team because like the, the role he plays is, I guess maybe inaccurately sometimes, but considered the mature role like of the player who does exactly what he does, which is you know the simple pass. He keeps things ticking over. He's always in the right place, and he can play that killer ball. Yeah, but he was he was one of the younger ones in that team. Yeah, and it's he had amazing. To, right? He had to step up quickly because yeah. for the Spanish team, he was coming in after Senna, who had been so pivotal to the two thousand and eight team. Um, and with Barcelona, it was one Yaya Torre, I think, yeah. that he, uh, he he got his chance when when he left. So he knows all about pressure. He knows yeah. all about these big occasions. So. He loves pressure. He eats it for breakfast. Yeah, except not maybe tomorrow. No. On Spain, though, JJ, I wonder, I was talking to Seb at halftime. Uh, from where the was Gulag. he again? Where was he? He got comms oh, he's in the, in the gulag. gulag, isn't he? He's got comms in the Gulag. He was waiting before his uh, one-on-one began. Oh, the little bit with the TV monitors. Yeah, he had the yeah. TV monitor, you yeah. know, one quarter for a phone call there. No big deal. Anyway, the guards were fine with it. But he was talking to me about the uh, about the game that he had watched also from the Gulag. And he said, um, he said that he wondered if, because when we talk about Spain, we think about 2008 to 2012. We think about... The incredible golden generation of players, maybe the best international team of all time. I don't. It's a big conversation about that, but what one of the best international teams of all time, right? And they're obviously not that now. That's what we're going to compare them to. So maybe we underrate them as a result of that. A team that have clearly performed well uh, in this tournament, albeit a little bit bluntly up front, and have made it to a semi final while scoring ten goals and two games on the way. Whereas Italy, who I think it's okay to say, kind of scraped through the game a little bit here. Uh, not not tragically so, but it was close. Um, they were rubbish until very recently, and we thought they were rubbish, and they thought they were rubbish, and then it turns out they're a lot better than everyone and they thought they were. And so maybe there's a chance that we overrate them a little bit. Do you know? What do you think about what all the words I've just said? <laughs> uh, I'm going to just go with how I think of it. I think both of them are quite equalish. Yeah. But I think <laughs> Italy have the more experience and therefore are the more weaselly, and I think that really right. helps in sure. tournaments. You're obsessed with weasels, man. Yes. Yeah? Because... Do tell. I, there are always weasels everywhere I go. <laughs> That's a it's career like that, in journalism for you. It's like that song, Everywhere You Go, Always Take the Weasels, weasels With You. Because <laughs> I remember it. I well, if you will take them with you, they'll always be there. I mean, you know, it's... Just um, find a way in my bag. No, one of those but, contradictions uh, of life, isn't it? Oh... <laughs> To be serious, uh, I think... Um, JJ's unplugged his disco light. In terms of, like, are they overrated, Italy? I don't know. I mean, that's just... They've really come if into... If they are overrated, it's by you. Well, I think a lot of people were overrating, like, the Netherlands, for example, because they've yeah. had a few good games. And, uh, like, arrogantly, I, I thought Holland would fall apart at some point because, having watched them before, they didn't really play any good teams. When they did, they were never that good. And yeah. the way they played... Yeah, you could just tell it was going to happen. Even Scotland got something out of them. And uh, I think with Italy, I genuinely think they're a good team that they can play sure. anyone. I think they're. I still think they're the best team in the tournament. Mm -hmm. um, and I think although the XG shows that perhaps, perhaps Spain should have won that game and they've taken their chances, I still think. I don't know. I just think if they have a way to get around it, like did that first half, did the kind of Italian wobble in the first half not make you think like there's the weak point? We haven't seen that yet. No, because really. I, I, honestly, I, I think they were set up and they weren't playing the normal way they play for a start. And regardless of Spinazzola, who does make a big difference, but they were trying to target something they saw in Spain. They were sticking to the same principles. 
you know, like win the ball back quickly, pass quickly, get the ball over the top quickly, everything done quickly, basically. Like you play with a high tempo and you're aggressive in and out of possession. And that's the principles they stick with. It's always a 4-3-3 in this Mancini team. And I think with Spain, they thought if they squeeze it a little bit, Spain are going to always try and play out from the back and you might be able to stop one of these passes out from the back from Garcia or Laporte. And that's where you can stop them. If you just get a turnover and they won the ball high up the pitch a couple of times, did it early on, just weren't able to turn it into a goal. Um, even playing Chiesa direct, getting the side, uh, on the outside of them. And you saw in the second half when they changed it, they had a lot more fun with it on the break because Spain are going to... I think Spain were the only teams they'll play against who are able to control the ball and the possession in the way that Italy have done. England can't do that. Like, they can't do that. I don't think Denmark can do it either, whichever one of those gets through. I think, in terms of them being overrated, I think they're probably just... I think they're rated. I think they're rated. They're lovely horses. It's just like you said on the eve of the tournament. <laughs> I think they're lovely horses, horses, yeah. They're lovely horses. Yeah. Is that what you think? I mean, he said, he said yeah. a couple of times now he thinks Italy are the best team in the tournament. I've said, I think England are the best team in the tournament. I think England are the most efficient team in the tournament. I think if this was a 38-game season, I'd fancy England to win it because mm. they just they don't give up many chances. They haven't really had any wobbles. They haven't conceded a goal. Yeah. The, the only major chances that have come against them have been from self-inflicted errors. Yeah. Um, over a 38-game season, I'd probably back them to do, to, to do very well. But no, I think JJ's right. Italy are the better team. Um, they've looked better right from the start. They hit the ground running. Um, You're both wrong. <laughs> You're both wrong, front, and we're going to a break. <laughs> oh, God damn it, God damn it. <laughs> right, that game's done. We haven't missed anything on that game, have we? Uh, I'll just take my little notes. Everyone enjoyed that. And my big notes. Uh, okay, here we go. Seb's looking old. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, hold on. I've got, yes, a, a gentle zucchini has reminded me of the one thing we have missed. Okay. Uh, we are back. And uh, gentle zucchini in the live stream chat uh, has just reminded me of the one thing that we have missed from uh, the Italy-Spain game. Incidentally, uh, if you didn't know, we are live streaming our podcast recordings throughout the rest of the Euros, so that's just tomorrow and Sunday. You've missed most of it, but, uh, you know, it's been a great time. <laughs> Don't know why I'm bothering to do this promo now. Anyway, Gentle Zucchini reminded me of uh, Ian uh, Jorginho's lovely little hop penalty at the end there, where the keeper sort of, I think as JJ said, just seemed to kind of give up as soon as he saw what had happened. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the coolest thing that anyone's done on a football pitch. Like, it was extremely quite cool. possibly ever. Yeah. Outside of um, the Hungarian player whose name has dropped out of my head in 1953, who uh, sent I can't Billy believe Wright. you can't remember <laughs> it. <laughs> sent Billy Wright completely the wrong way and was memorably described by Geoffrey Green in the Times. Uh, Billy Wright, England captain, like a fire engine going to the wrong fire. <laughs> this Hungarian inside forward turned him inside out and... Uh, Put quite the infliction of, uh, yeah. of uh, humiliation on the England team. Mm. What was my original point? Yes, coolest thing that's ever happened on a Man. football pitch. For a, that penalty at that point, in that way. Yeah. Ice cool, huh? Has he no heart, JJ? Just destroyed him mentally. Yeah. yeah. Like it's um, The way Simon looks at him, I think I need to watch it back, but it looked to me as though he just sort of. As soon as he, he ran up and did a little hop, he knew he was beaten. He went one way and just clapped his hands like, yeah. you've beaten me. Like, fair enough, you've did, just done me. Did you ever play Tekken 3? No, Street Fighter 2 is my sure. peak. 
Well, in Tekken 3, there was a a character called Paul, (laughs) aptly named. He was the the most excitingly named character. Did he wear a shirt and He he wore a kind of like arms torn off karate suit. Uh, Anyway, orange, orange colour with a sort of Johnny Bravo style hair. His special move was one of the easiest to remember because it was just X and square and hold back. And he sort of does a power up punch, which you can hold for good old five seconds before he lets go. And... Jorginho's penalty reminded me of uh, Paul powering up the full special punch, which would take all of your life force away against an opponent who only had a smidgen of life left. You know, it, fe- it felt like it was uh, unnecessary, is what I'm saying. I understand entirely. Yeah. Could I just say that the uh, entire chat room is screaming push cast at me? Oh. Um, which I really should have known. I was just In which worried. Case, I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, I, was, I was worried it might be the other one. It was Frank I can't remember. Nando Hidaguti, I think That's you're thinking of. That's the geezer. Yeah. yeah. How do no, I know that? push gas? Because you're pretending to be a fool. (laughs) (laughs) And for the person in the chat room who said, was I there? Thank you very much. (laughs) Just a little bit of grey. Well, thanks to the chat room. Anyway, the Jorginho Hadouken says, this is the way. Yes, please. That is the best comment of the Euros. Right. Let's talk about England now, because there's nothing I'd rather do. Uh, Ian, how excited are you? You're a normal guy. This feels important, doesn't it, as a normal guy? It does feel a bit important. I mm. mean, it's only the fourth <clears throat> semi-final in my lifetime. Sure. Um, and it, it feels kind of weird because, as, as we are saying earlier, this England team is both likeable and good. And I'm not sure we very, very often got to use even one of those words yeah. about an England team. Yeah. Let alone both at the same time. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're, they're good. And uh, I'm... I think more than anything, I'm just happy that they've got this far because you know what everyone is like. If it, if something had gone wrong early doors, it would have been tear it all up, start it all again, we'd be throwing away all of the progress. And I, I think if it wasn't England, then I would be looking at this game thinking, you know, they, they, they've got a real chance. They've got a real chance of going all the way. As I yeah. said before, they're, they're efficient, 38-game season. But because it is England and because I've been hurt so badly in 86, 88, 90, sure. 92, not in 94 because we didn't make it, mm. and so on and so forth. You've got the trauma. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of it. I watched England-Germany completely sober. I just watched it with a cup of tea, just sort of taking it all in. I've never mm. done that with an England game. Right. Or indeed, many Tuesdays. Um, <laughs> but it was, I don't know, it's, it's affecting me. Well, how did you come out of that way. then? Were you, what was it like to watch it in that, in that state? What, sober? Yeah. It was amazing. I can remember everything. <laughs> if I'd have done that when I was a journalist, I'd have gone a lot bloody higher, I tell you. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was weird. It was sort of taking it in almost in a, this detached sense of, of looking at England and understanding why they're so good and seeing the trust yeah. and the faith between not just themselves and the manager, but between themselves on the pitch. There's something yeah. there's something extraordinarily pleasing about them, and that just frightens me. And yet. And yet. Italy are going to win, according to you. Um, well, no, I didn't say that. No, that said, is true. I you didn't that say that. I think that. Italy are the better team. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, on the final, uh, on the Sunday, in the final, with the eyes of the world on them, I think Denmark will put up a really good fight. <laughs> Um, I, th- I think Denmark have got a great chance here. Yo, you look at them. Look at the mood of them. Look at Kasper Schmeichel in the sure. press conference. Coming home, it's never been home. It's going to be a tough, tough game, and I'd, I'd yeah. not be in the least bit surprised if it ends at roughly the same time as this one did. Sure, sure. JJ, I think the, the big... Uh, 
Oh, sorry, I'm unapologetically a fan. I think the big decision beforehand is uh, whether England are going to play a three or a four in the game. Because obviously, you know, we saw them turn to a three against Germany and that worked very well, reverted to a four against Ukraine. I think it's maybe worth making the point as well about although Ukraine played with a back three, they had a different, they weren't a three, four, three, right? They were a three, five, two, so it's yeah. a little bit different. But Denmark will play with that back three-ish with Christensen potentially pushing up maybe as he did against Wales. It's quite a hard decision to make, I suppose, isn't it? And also it feels, although to me it would make in complete sense to go to a three, it also feels like the country would still somehow view it as a negative thing to do, even though it isn't. Um. I don't think it would be necessarily negative. I think it's trying to deal with... So the problem... The first thing you've got to think about is that Denmark play with wing-backs. And I think if you look at how... The best example of this in the tournament so far is how Germany absolutely destroyed Portugal. Yeah. We play with the back four. Like a 4-2-3-1 they play, which is essentially what England normally do. And because the wing-backs were getting over, um, if you bring one of your wide midfielders back, wide forwards to to track the wing back on both sides, suddenly you've got no way of getting out because you're trapped and you've got loads of guys in the middle and it doesn't really work. Or you can switch to kind of match them up, 3-4-3 three, three, and have wing backs. So you're basically man for man. And if you think your team is better than the other team, you don't really have to worry about that so much, I would say. So against Germany, you know they're a dangerous team. So match them up made perfect sense because you're not leaving yourself prone to any overloads that Germany will be able to get. Um, and you know they're going to play two in midfield, you can have two in midfield and try and win the game elsewhere. Yeah. what you do now Denmark play with a central two but Christensen so against Wales they changed from the 3-4-3 three, three to basically Christensen moved into like the defensive midfield slot changed it to a back four but it was never actually a back four or a back three it was just constantly changing and that midfield three that he creates I wonder if that might make Southgate start with kind of the 4-3-3 three, three or 4-2-3-1 um, because then he has the option of maybe moving Rice back into the midfield, into the defence, the defensive strata. So you've got a three, and then straight away Shaw and Walker can push up the pitch. That's something they can do. Um, Stones move out to the right, so you see like Maguire, Stones, Walker, and Shaw. The back four would suddenly be Shaw, Maguire, Rice, Stones, and Walker. That's my weird thinking. Might be overthinking that. It's not something he's done yet. Yeah. Might be unnecessarily uh, experimental, but it does kind of make logistical sense with it. I, th- I think he might just go with a kind of regular 4-2-3-1, but rather than playing Mount, he might put in someone like Jordan Henderson. If, if he was fit, Yeah, that would be the game to put him in because you can... Denmark are really hard. They're really hardy. And it sounds stupid, but it's really... <laughs> sure. like they, they Not can, fun to play against. Yeah, they can bully you. They've won the most aerial duels per game of any team by a mile. So it's, I think it's 21.8 uh, aerials won per game. Yeah, I know that means nothing. But in context, England are the second to them. In, who are left in competition and they're between like seven or eight teams between the two. Yeah. So England, you think of as being quite big, large, large lads. But Denmark, uh, do not mess about. Like yeah. They'll go through you. Tall guys they've got everywhere. Um, especially the back three, Vestergaard, Kears, Christensen, Delaney scored a header the other day. Larson's delivery is good from free kicks. Uh, yeah. Well, i tell you what, um, I forgot to uh, check the predictions from the last podcast for tonight. So we'll we'll formally do points of bad pav tomorrow to work out what the scores are ahead of the final. But mm. while we're here, and given that Ian doesn't need to predict, do you want to predict for tomorrow's game? What the score will be? Yeah. For England versus Italy? Yeah. No, 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 for England versus Denmark. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you put your disco light back on there as a joke about these? Don't tease me, boy. But do give me a pab. Um, I think England will win on penalties. 
against Denmark. Nil-nil, yeah. Nil-nil, and then England win on penalties. Yeah. I don't mind that. Because we know what's going to happen in the final. I will see you that, and I will raise you. Denmark will win on penalties. This guy's, you know, I really liked him at the beginning of the podcast, but he's gone right <laughs> down in my estimation. I like him much more. Do you, know, <laughs> do you know what I think is going to happen? No. I mean, yes. And? 3-0. England. Yeah? Yeah. I think they're the best team in the tournament. I don't know why that's so weird. I don't know why that's so weird. I don't know why you won't just agree with me. Anyway, Ian, you're a human, and what I wanted to ask you about was the human element of this game, because obviously we've spent a lot of time talking about England now, but this is enormous for Denmark as well, right? There's people involved, and you're a person. <laughs> I am a yeah, person. Yeah. Um, what does your heart tell you? <laughs> it's, it's just such an extraordinary thing coming as it does in 2021, as hopefully the world is beginning to open up again sure. and get back to normal, that, that I think there, there is a danger. <laughs> Call me crazy, but there's a danger of English people fixating on themselves and mm -hmm. only being concerned about themselves. <clears throat> I don't know but, what you mean. No, but Denmark have had exactly the same 18 months as we've had. Um, they've had the, the horrors of the Christian Eriksen um, thing in the first game as well. They, they're a team that's bound together by everything that they've been through. And and they're also a team that no one expected them to get this far. So they're just having the time of their life right now. They fear yeah. nothing. I There will be an awful lot of people tomorrow who are watching their first tournament. And, um, you know, often that's kids watching it for the first time. But I think this England team and the fact that there's live sport to watch that people are in the stadium for is bringing loads and loads of new potential fans in. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people who... Um, out of well-meant ignorance, we'll think, you know, we avoided Italy and we've avoided Spain and we've got Denmark and it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. No. It's going to be an absolute battle. Yeah. Um, to score those three goals, it's, it's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. But that's great. That's, yeah. that's what it should be. It's, sure. it's going to be, um, it's going to be like 1990. It's going to be like 1996. Um, yeah. I have a horrible feeling that it's going to be like those things for all the same reasons. But again, that's the traumatised version of myself trying to get out in front yeah. emotionally before I break. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm trying... The thing is about this tournament is... Uh, and I very much respect your trauma and your, uh, your uh, action here. I'm trying uh, not to do that because I sort of want to be hurt. Do you know what I mean? I feel like what this, this England team... Forget about whether they're good at football or not. You said it, they're, they're good. They're nice. Like, I love that Marcus Rashford does, has done what Marcus Rashford has done over the last 12, 18 months, whatever. I love how Raheem Sterling is still scoring goals in face of all the criticism that he's had. I, I love almost every single one of those players. And they feel like incredible role models, most of them. They feel like they're a unit together, a team in a way that doesn't is kind of devoid of toxicity that feels very unfamiliar to me in football land certainly recently and therefore I feel like they deserve me to put my heart on my sleeve and be prepared to potentially be heartbroken <laughs> against Denmark because many people's hearts are going to break That's one way it, or the other it? you know every time every time you put yourself out there sure. you open yourself <laughs> up you run the risk of being hurt just by letting people love you and by letting yourself yeah. love it's called um, love this is this is life there we go. These are the scars we wear. Did you well, know that Denmark have taken or 86 shots on goal. England have taken 37. He doesn't have any love. He's without <laughs> no love, love. Just numbers. No. He just, just likes numbers. Data. This guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, fair enough. But you think England will win on penalties? Uh, if if they can get to penalties, yeah, I think they'll yeah draw penalties. Yeah, I think the squad rotation that Southgate's done is smart and will help them enormously because they can they'll have players that are ready to play. And I mean, Ford's not played for a few games now. He might come in. He might have Grealish come on at some point. Sancho's nice and fresh. Uh, <laughs> so they've got the options, but. You know, I, I really think it'll be interesting to see how Southgate lines up. I, I don't think we'll know too much of either. However, he sets up whatever. But it's a four-three-three or a three-four-three. We know they'll be very conservative and they'll wait for the opposition to make mistakes and they'll try and be efficient with whatever they're doing. Yeah. Like the whole point is they're trying to work out how do you win a tournament, and you you win a you win a tournament by not conceding goals, kind of making the games a bit dull, but then you take advantage of the chances you get, like Mourinho football. Like when it works, you're a genius. When it doesn't. Why didn't you use all the amazing players you had? Could yeah. I could I just draw attention to uh, Strack and Stoats? Um, Please see you like weasels. He's he's all Stoats. Weasels are weaselly recognised, and Stoats is totally different. But that's another story. Strack and Stoats says, <laughs> interesting to see the presenters using so many words to describe liking this England team rather than just saying it doesn't have John Terry in it, and that's good. <laughs> Don't even need to make a comment. It is good. <laughs> I will say, though, that using far too many words to say something that I mean is a thing that I do here anyway. So, Absolutely. you know, it's going to happen. Also, I think it must be Seb, unless it's a, a sneaky Don in the comments, uh, but uh, probably Seb has pinned the, a, a comment to the top of the, the live chat from Jack Brown that says, Ian's lovely skin makes Joe look like a snowman. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been on holiday or something? <laughs> it's just the, uh, the the shimmering shine of... Uh, you make a good snowman. Thanks very much. Yeah, I've got the build for it. And I, if you shoved a carrot in my face, I'd probably hold it in my m- if nose. If I shot a carrot at your face. I don't know what I'm saying. It means you're very cold. <laughs> that means it's the end of the podcast now. I'm pretty sure we haven't missed anything. Probably not. But there we go. Wasn't that fun? To JJ Bull the Bullard. Thank you. Thanking you. And of course to Ian McIntosh, uh, the Does, MacBook Pro. Hasn't been here long enough to have a nickname. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Thank you very much for having <laughs> the me. MacBook Pro, that doesn't really work. Uh, you were splendid. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. What a Thank dream. You. Wasn't it a dream, JJ? I loved it. It was very fun. It was a dream. Yeah. Anyway, as usual, thanks to our crack solo team of uh, Don, the videographer over there. And uh, he's about to uh, pop his hand out. <laughs> What a lovely hand that is. Right, that's the end of the show. We will be back tomorrow, uh, JJ and I, to talk about the England-Denmark game. Fingers crossed. Uh, Bienvenue, goodbye, choose ciao, and other things. Farewell. Farewell.